Spark is an idea accelerator, connecting the studio to the classroom by and for artists who educate. Brought to you by the Frist. Thanks everyone for being here. Thanks Rob for presenting this month. I'm Sean Giles. I am the Assistant Director for Community Engagement here at the Frist Art Museum. And I worked with a group of teachers who came to us with the idea of Spark two years ago. And so here we are now. Uh, Spark is a monthly, uh, usually third Thursday of the month program that we do where we have an uh, artist educator come in and speak. And so we are happy to have Rob Matthews this month. And so I will turn it over to Rob. All right. Well, thanks for coming. All right. Um, it was asked that I come here and talk about something in my studio, right? A pro part of my process, which is good. I uh, and only keep it to like twenty minutes. So, um, the most common part of my process is is failure. I think everybody that makes art or does anything at all, that's the thing that that is ever present in the way you work. Um, and so I wanted to really show that as a, as a continuous thread through my work, with, and not really show a ton of my work, which may be a, a good thing for you or a bad thing for you. I don't know what you came here to see. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about it, A, because uh, I, I feel like it's the thing we try to protect our students from, and it's the thing that we need to encourage them to embrace the most. Uh, because that's how you learn, and that's how ideas morph potentially into something better than the original idea that they came up with, right? So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, I do not know where anybody here is, is from originally. I am from Hendersonville. If you do not know anything about this area, we're, we're up here. Uh, that's where I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Um, more specifically, I went to this high school, which is now a middle school. Uh, it, um, I, I am highlighting it here because this is one of the first examples where someone decided to tell me that I was a failure, and not in a pleasant way. So in this room right here, uh, I was in my junior English class. I finished the year, taken a test to determine whether or not I was going to go into AP English or not. And so I made, I took the test and I got in. And I was as I was walking out the door to my English class one day, my junior English teacher says, takes me aside specifically to say, I just want you to know that I do not think you deserve to be in AP English. And more than likely you are going to struggle unless you work twice as hard as everyone else. That's not a challenge, that's not like a challenge, right? Like, you know, that is just flat out. You don't belong where you're going, right? Um, so uh, I didn't really care for her anyway, so I kind of brushed that off. And um, a year goes by, and the, the, uh, the termination point of my senior year of English, my senior year English teacher says, have you ever considered some sort of career in writing? So it's a... It just depends on who is the one doling out advice or critique in your life, right? And I did not ever consider a career in writing, but that's only because no one really 
ever gave me an idea of what that meant, right? My idea of being a writer was writing like thick books of, of fiction, of you know, because all you do in, in junior high and high school is read like the great works of literature, and it seems very intimidating, right? And so I had this idea, and I still hold this idea, I think, unfortunately, that, that like if you're going to make a book, it better be really good. Right, and so like when I go into a bookstore, the few that remain, and I just see all these things that are only supposed to sit there for like six months and then be completely forgotten, that really just like grinds my gears, you know? And so like I thought, I probably don't have a great word of literature in me, so I am not going to pursue this career in writing. Um, that, but that was a nice way to recover from what had been told to me, right, from my junior year, but my, uh, my, my art teacher decided to kind of like give me a kick on the way out the door and actually told my mom, I don't know why Rob wants to go study art. He would probably be more successful doing something else. So <laughs> uh, I did not put those two together and think like, maybe I should go do writing. I, I, I went with art. I had this idea that, that like, I want to go study this. I'm not good at math. That's usually like, that's my first thought. I think like that's probably most art majors first thoughts. Like, I can't do math, that takes out like 75% of the majors you can have in college. So I go study visual art, but I'm still kind of a storyteller. I'm not writing, but I wanna tell things visually. That, that's like the art that I know about and the stuff that interests me. Okay, so I get to University of Tennessee, Knoxville. That's where I go to undergrad. I don't know if anybody went there, but this is, this is the interior of the art building. Um, upon there, I get, I get a freshman drawing teacher who says at the beginning of the semester, I only give A's to students that I think are going to become artists. And that's the thing that hangs over your head at the beginning of the semester. I got a B plus. <laughs> so <laughs> I was pretty much told, May, you're almost going to be one, but you're not, right? Okay, so this is just like one kind of, you know, you know, series of conversations after another that is it's like steering me uh, against what I want to do. To follow this up, I take an intro to drama class. And I write a one-act play as a, as a project. And my intro to drama teacher performs it on the radio. So like there is, so I have everything that's telling me at this point in my life, go write something. Right, but I'm just like you know, forget it. Um, you know, I'm 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 already in too deep. I'm two years into being an artist, so I can't quit now. Right, that's the, and and now I'm what 26 years into this, and I'm just like I'm definitely not like getting out of this. But anyway, so I I kind of tell you all this because I need to set the stage for what ultimately is this this persistent failure in my studio that motivates me to do the work that I actually end up doing. And that is something that happened to me on July, I mean, on, on June 22nd, 1988. And I know this specifically because it is the night that Mike Tyson fought Michael Spinks. Now, you may not know anything about this fight. Uh, it was on HBO, I was, uh, I was in Clinton, North Carolina, I'll show you that on the map in a minute. Um, it was on HBO, we went to my cousin's friend's house to watch it, and that was going to be our evening, right? Watch Tyson. Doesn't do you, does anybody know how long this fight lasted? It was 91 seconds, right? He destroyed a man in 91 seconds, okay? And so um, 
you can watch it over and over again. I, that was our only options for the evening. Like, was like we, this is what we planned for like two hours of our lives, and it's done, right? And so all HBO really can do is just like, well, let's just watch it again. And then a minute and a half later, they're like, why don't we watch it again? You know, and, and so uh, after a while, we're just kind of bored, right? right? Because I am uh, 13, 14 years old at this point in my life, and we didn't want to watch the same fight over and over again. Um, so uh, the neighbor kid says, who wants to go bat hunting? Right? Adam Tucker, uh, the neighborhood teenager with a ninja throwing star collection. Like, why would you ever listen to anything that this kid says? Okay, now he flies um, commercial airliners, so be careful where you fly. So he wants to, he wants to like, go bat hunting. I have no idea what this means. My cousins kind of live out in the middle of nowhere, northeastern North Carolina. I don't know what you do for fun, right? Okay, so um, in my mind, I'm like... Tally ho, you know, let, let's get let's get up and go. And uh, and so I have this idea in my head of what hunting bats is going to be, and it is very dramatic. And there will be dogs and you know uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. And but really, all you need to hunt a bat is a baseball bat and a tennis ball and a sock. And so what you do is you go out wherever bats are located. You put a tennis ball in a sock because you need like, I guess, a certain amount of surface area and, and the uh, sock works, but you need some weight. So you put a tennis ball in it and you, you throw it up in the air and you wait for the bat to kind of like pick it up on its echolocation, right? And swoop down. And, uh, and when it swoops down, then you try to hit it with a baseball bat, right? This is absurd. And, uh, and so <laughs> it is no longer this, right? It is this, okay? It is, it is uh, teenagers and tweeners gone uh, completely nuts out on like a golf course of all places because that's where we went to hunt these bats. And um, it devolved really quickly away from humanity that I recognized into some sort of free-for-all, right? And, I, and it's just a matter of being young and impressionable Right, but something that absurd and then also that kind of violent or whatever sticks with you and becomes this formational thing in your life, right? And it was this thing that I really wanted to somehow express artistically because it stuck with me. Um, so I like worked, you know, endlessly in the studio in my sketchbook here uh, and tried to visually capture what it is that I emotionally. Right, experienced, and I took it with me. I, I, you know, it never really formulated in any way in undergrad, and then I finally got to graduate school, and I start working on it again. And one more setback, one more teacher kicking the in the groin. Uh, my graduate school painting professor says, "I really don't think this is a good idea for a body of work." <laughs> like, just flat out shuts me down, right? And like. And I've, I've always been under the impression of like, there's really not a bad idea for art, right? There's just bad execution of art. That's what I tell my students. Like, there's no boring still life. There's just boring drawings of still lives, right? It's up to you to, to put some magic in it. That's why you're, you know, professing to be an artist of, of some sort. So, um, so you see this visual language emerging, and, and I kind of need to, like, jump off of it because, because like, whether or not you, you can't really tell. You know, these drawings are like this big, but they're a hundred hours a piece, right? So, like, this is just a lot of time, 
Not, and not necessarily well spent. It's it's just uh, it's something that became an obsessive way of drawing without any particular reason. And at some point, I kind of have to tap out of it. Um, so you can see I'm kind of like wandering around this forest for an extended period of time, coming up with these oddball scenarios. And then I finally just sort of like jump ship, and I say I got to come up with a different way to make images, or I'm going to burn out. I'm blind. Uh, and my cholesterol is going to be 300 because I sit around all day, and my back's going to get out. Those are the three things that I'm like most worried about, right? Um, so I this yeah, it's hard to see. This thing uh, is uh, five by six feet, so everything else is about six by eight inches. And so I scale up with a lot of collage work, and and then just uh, colored pencil, which is a lot less labor intensive than graphite. You don't lay, you don't layer it as much. So here's a here's a um, detail of it. Seems to get all these little cut pieces of paper and all these overlapping forms. Um, so this is like a, a moonshiner figure that I kind of uh, came up with as like some sort of like weird mystic sitting out in the middle of the woods. Um, but uh, you know, to keep myself occupied, these are all the chords of um, George Jones' White Lightning because you know, it's moonshine. So and these are the things you have to tell yourself in order to like come up with an idea, right? All right. So uh, that leads me out, and it actually kind of gets me to pick up a paintbrush again. But I'm still, but I still just kind of like draw with paint. That's what I was told. I thought I was painting. Boy, was I wrong. I, apparently, I, I did not know it. No one informed me until it's too late. But uh, it's a lot of collage work and a lot of like still hatching and cross-hatching just done with gouache and a, and a brush. And that opened up things um, in terms of the way that, that I formally work. And then uh, allow me to... Hey, that's the one that's on the... It, Image uh, on the printout, but um, allowed me to kind of like keep working with the figure, but sort of reinvent it for myself, right? And and then like life kind of at this point uh, crashed into me and 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 sent me on a different way, subject-wise. I kind of could not ignore a lot of world events. I'm not gonna really get into it, but it's a lot of kind of like refugee stuff. Uh, and it kind of like had forced me to put aside this very kind of selfish existential, you know, like crisis, you know, in a forest type thing temporarily. I know I'll go back to it um, probably sooner rather than later. But it opens up a lot of doors. These compositions are not any different than the compositions that I had stumbled on, you know, thinking about these figures. And it, it only happens if I've got this story running through my head and an itch that I can't scratch, right? And the I, if, if I could have conquered this subject a long time ago, I could have just lost momentum. But that per, that consistent failure is the thing that gets me to go back in every day, right? Um, and this is the thing, like as a teacher, that sometimes gets lost in it. You you, you kind of don't want to tell people that they failed, right? But you need to tell them that they failed. Because, in a nice way, don't be like my junior English teacher that says, you really don't deserve anything that you have. You know, don't be like that person, but encourage them to risk and encourage them to fail because it will lead somewhere else. Whenever I teach drawing classes, what I would tell them, you know, because you, you always get like the person, that the nervous drawer, that makes like 400 lines when they just need to do that, right? And that's what you just, like, that's what I tell them. It's like, just make a mess faster. 
right? That way you got more time to clean it up. You know, because if you do this for an hour, then then that's it. You know, it's, you you've drawn the the nervy nervous you know sketchy guy for an hour, and you don't have time to fix it. So just like fail with uh, with confidence. You know, and so that's led me into uh, like breaking down the picture plane a little bit more. This is the only image I'm going to show from the exhibition that I actually have opening next week. Um, but it's all rooted in that. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, you know, like I said, 20 minutes, especially when we're just talking about a failure. But um, there, there's a deliberate attempt to break away from all of this kind of obsessive patching and making of space and just flatten things out and let a line, let one line do the job of a million hatched marks, that kind of thing, um, and simplifying the language so that it focuses attention exactly where you need it to be, um, which is where I am right now. And so I kind of feel like I'm taking this visual language that's slowly crept up on me, and I'm going to like pass it back to the subject matter that's like escaped my grasp for 25 years. Um, and so to kind of like keep all that in mind, like this is the drawing, right, ultimately that inspired me. And this is the painting that truly inspired me. You know, what you need to know about this painting is that it's the last painting he ever made, right? So who knows if this is the thing that that he was gunning for? You know, most of his life too. Because this, if he did this as a kid, I guarantee you this had a profound effect on the way that he thought about the world, right? And he and and trying to visually capture that could have eluded him for a very long time. And just to kind of like put that in perspective, this drawing is from 1850, and this painting is from 1874. There's 24 years difference between just sketching it out as an idea and resolving it as a painting, right? Um, and so there has to be this this thread of failure that runs through his life, no matter how successful he's painting gleaners or you know people praying in the field or anything like that. Um, that is all that I really have to say. So, um, but just. I, I feel like I have to tell myself this a lot as an educator that like we have this like you know mind mindset kind of thing where it's like you're supposed to say you're not there yet, which is true, but tell them you're really not there. Yet. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be loving about it at the same time. So I'm gonna just leave it there. All right. <laughs>